As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. It's DCW here. Uh, Adam Leventhal is having a very, very well-earned few days off after, as I'm sure you're all aware, it's been quite a few days in Watford land. So instead of his normal Thursday newsy update pod, because you've basically already had that twice this week, Adam Leventhal has got something a little bit different for you. We've got a very special interview with none other than Troy Deeney. Now I know Watford fans have heard more from Troy Deeney than anyone else. You would think there's probably nothing about his story that you don't know, but but he has written a book, which is out now, came out yesterday, and there's actually a lot in there that is really fascinating, really interesting, lots of new information, lots of interesting perspectives on stories that we may already know. And Adam had a, a chat with Troy last week to mark the release of the book and to just catch up with him, really, ask him about how he's getting on at Birmingham, his new life, how he's adapting to life in the championship at his boyhood club, you know, talk about some of the ups and downs of his time at Watford, some of the times that he nearly left, surprisingly, really, really close to leaving on a number of times, closer than I think any of us realised... And there's loads of other stuff in there as well. Bit of, bit of chat about how it kind of ended for him at Watford and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff this summer, last season as well. There's loads to enjoy. If you want to read the full piece, you can, of course, read it at The Athletic. You can get a discount just for From the Rookery End listeners by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. You'll get 33% off an annual subscription. You can read the full interview there. But I must also point out that this interview was recorded whilst Troy was in his car. So forgive us if it sounds like Troy's driving down a motorway, if you can hear cars driving past or whatever, it's not too bad. You can easily hear what he's saying. But just to let you know, that's where the interview took place. Troy's a very busy man, but he pulled over just for Adam. So let's get into the interview now. Let's hear from Troy Deeney with Adam Leventhal. Adam started off by asking Troy, quite simply, how's he getting on? Uh, he's all right, mate. He's all right. Just getting used to... Um... 
new surroundings. Uh, I know like I've got, I'm home in terms of being in Birmingham, but the day-to-day life is actually uh, really strange, really surreal. I was spoiled at Watford, let's put it that way. We had, you know, as you know, the training ground is, is lovely. People are lovely. It's like, can't do enough for you. And then you go to Birmingham where it's, it's like how Watford was 11 years ago when I first started. And it's not, I wouldn't say that the club's broke, but it, it's very much, you know, like living with, between its means. And yeah, you've become, it's really first world problems. You become really accustomed to things. But um, yeah, just getting used to that, that change, the edginess and the character of a building, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so is it is it just a bit more grimy? Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, but also, as you know, like the best way to describe it, if you're always used to flying first class, it becomes normal, becomes your normal. If you then have to go and get normal seating, which was fine, it is normal, but you you're used to luxury, it becomes a oh, why are we doing this or why don't we do that? It's a little bit different, and the mindset's different as well. You remember. You know, four of the last five years for, for Birmingham have, have stayed up on the last day. So now you're trying to create a mindset and a mentality, not just me, obviously, but the manager and, and the people there are trying to create a mindset that you need to win games. You need to win two or three on the bounce. You, if you lose two on the bounce, that's not good enough. At Watford as well, remember, even when we was in the championship, we had Prem players for the last eight years. Since Vidra and Iggy and... Forestieri, uh, Alman Abdi, Ben Watson. You can go through the whole list. Gomez, all these players, were, even when we was in the champ, were Prem quality players. It's new, it's different. It's fun, by the way. It is fun, but it's definitely tested at times. Now, obviously, you're now, as it was always going to be, a published author, of course. Um... <laughs> How weird is that? Like someone that left school with an E in GCSEs, and I'm now an author that's as far as the publishers told me, I think we're we're in the top twenty in all Amazon books sold, number one in sports books, and number one in you know hot hottest new books or whatever it's called. I don't know. I'm I'm not that way inclined, but apparently it's doing really well and it's quite surreal. Proud but surreal. And a hot hottest cover photo as well, by the way. <laughs> How long did it's that take? How long did that. that take? Is that the one that you you went? Yeah, I like that one. That's that's me. Believe it or not, that was the first one I took. Was it? And I'm like, that's it. One take, let's go. Another thing I like about it, it shows the scars and the imperfection. They had me in some weird and wonderful positions, let, let me put it that way, different types of kits and all sorts. And it was just like, no, let's just, I am who I am. I'm not going to be Brad Pitt. I don't want to be Brad Pitt. Let's just show it as it is. It took a long time to do, but I'm, I'm very proud of the finished article. And obviously with the help of Ollie Holt, I've managed to, I think, tell a story from, I didn't ever want to come back, by the way, as like, a, you know, like, tell it from an older man. Oh, when I was a kid, it was like this. I'm trying to tell it from the kid's perspective, looking out. I don't know the opposite to a bird's eye view, but like a worm's view, maybe, <laughs> like looking up at a big world. And, and this is this is how I saw it. No, I think I think it's good. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the read? I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a very it was a very interesting perspective on a, on a lot of different things. The one thing that struck a chord with me in particular was sort of your your relationship with your father, and then seeing him ultimately die in front of your eyes, and that that is a very difficult thing to to sort of have to have to deal with. But obviously, you know that it, it also deals with a very harrowing time at times for you as a, as a mm-hmm. kid, seeing some 
brutal things. Let's be let's be brutally honest. It was very interesting to get that sort of take on the on your foundations because you know as we are both now, we're both we're both parents. The most important thing is our kids, and you want to mm-hmm. make the best for your make your best for your kids, and you try and correct the, the wrongs of your parents ultimately because yeah. they they've had an impact on you. So. I mean, was that something that you, did you find it a, a cathartic experience? Was it helpful? You know why I'm laughing? You're the third person that has said cathartic. Oh, right. Literally, I'm the, th- the third person who used it, I went, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> I had to get the guy to break it down to me. So now when you say it, I'm like, oh, I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it was? It was, because my mum helped a lot as well. So mm. again, from from me looking at it, like the first instance that happened to me, I was nine years old. Now, if you ask a nine-year-old to give you a picture of a story, it's got to look really uh, imaginative and spectacular. And how I remember it, with some gaps in there, my mum was able to fill the gaps and able to say, well, this happened and this happened. And I think that's why the story is really more authentic as well, because I got to see my mum and appreciate how much trauma my mum's actually gone through because mm. it's never really been spoken about from a family where we don't talk. So I've never really, although we knew my mum was going through pain, I've never seen her go through pain. I've never seen her cry. I've never seen her sit around and feel sorry for herself. She's just not that woman. So to see her express it and what I did as part of the process was drove around all our old homes where we drove through. I, I remember like playing outside our flat that we lived in and it was massive in my eyes. It was a really big green. I was eight years old. I go back there now and it's like, I've got, I got a bathroom that's bigger than that. It's just stuff like that. As a kid, that, that was my Wembley. It was so big. It was huge. And then you go back and my mum's like, well, you know, there was four of us in that house and it's only a, it's only a one and a half bedroom. And it's like, wow. And she, she got through it, never complained and, and tried her best for us. So, to see my mum, to see that that kind of release from my mum and the emotion that she showed gave me huge empathy, to be totally honest with you. It made me just feel like, you know, I've always called her my angel, but now I was like, wow, you went through an awful lot to get us to the to the situation where we're at now. So eternally grateful. Can I ask you one question? Sorry, I know you're interviewing me. No, go ahead. But do you feel like once you've read the book, you you understand me a bit more? Like a, a lot like from like, you know, my what people call outbursts and the way I am over course of time. Do you understand who I am a bit more now? I think so. Yeah. You know, you're always going to be influenced by the things that are currently around you and being a footballer who's earning millions of pounds, that's always going to twist your melon and make you slightly different to everyone else. But to understand, you know, what you've been through the relationship that you had with your, your father, not your biological father, but your, your, the dad that you, you know, that brought you up. And, And it's interesting. You were saying about, you know, I look back at my childhood and I had a, I did have a happy childhood. I don't look back at it and say it was, it was grim and it was, it was brutal all the time, but having to deal with some of the things that you saw, I think it it does sort of, we all know, and it's the same for everyone. You compartmentalize things in your mind and you shut them Mm -hmm. away. And sometimes the way that you react to situations, especially like be brutally honest myself, when my dad died, you drink too much, you party too hard. Mm -hmm. You try and shut things off. And that's obviously what then got you into yeah. the situation that took you into to yeah, yeah. jail. But to answer your question, yes, it does. And I guess I guess the only, the, you know, the frustration from, from my point of view sometimes is 
when you lose a, a parent, you've still got your mum there, which is obviously great, but you miss out on being able to ask them the questions you would like to ask them as an older guy to be able to say, yeah. how did you deal it with when I was a kid and da 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 da, all that sort of stuff. Do, do you find that as well? 100%. And, that, and that's, we called the book Redemption. And don't get me wrong, there was a lot of arguments about what the book should be called. Because I wanted something along the lines of like closure. And again, you're a wordsmith, you're better at words than me, but something that encapsulated closure, because for me, it's like, how many interviews have, have not only with yourself, but loads of people have done interviews and we could be talking about socks and somehow it'll go, well, you went to jail in 2012. And, you know, it, it always go back to that. And it's kind of like with all of the questions and all the topics that I speak about, here it is. Here's my perspective. Mm. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just trying to give you what this brain and mind does and how it processes things. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's, it's always wrong, but, this is how it is. And, you know, we've had discussions, haven't we, privately, like some of the things that come out of, over Watford over the time period, like I didn't have anything to do with those things, yet it was always perceived that I'm, because I'm big and I'm loud, I must have this so, this standing. And, uh, and I think the best way to describe that, if that was the case, I'd still be there. <laughs> <laughs> so if I had this big power over them and like, I'm staying till I retire, I would still be there. Over the years, you've had to, or I've had to, be resilient and take a lot of swords in the back just because you want to respect your employers. I have, I have a great relationship with Watford. I kind of moved on from what we're talking about, but it's, it's similar to what I'm saying is that you're never able to come out and go, well, here's the full truth, mm-hmm. or here's the truth from my perspective. At times, you have to hold it, keep your mouth closed, and as I say, take the spears in the back to keep moving because the greater good is is for that you'll, you'll cause more damage by going into a he said she said yeah and I, I suppose that you know that nature of publishing and I've been involved in publishing myself you know it, it has to stop somewhere so it's not right slap bang up to date you can't necessarily tell everything mm-hmm. that happened in you know in the last couple of months or whatever it's only a month since you since you left Watford yeah. Um, and I know that at the time, you know, it was very amicable and the word amicable was used a lot and it looked <laughs> amicable. And there was there was a lovely video of you. You know, there was a nice uh, video that you and Richard Walker did on the pitch. Just nice little touches like that. I thought it was managed very well. And it was great that the story now got you, you know, back at home and, and stuff like that. But is there part of you that thinks, yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily shake everyone's hand on the way out? No, I, I did actually shake everyone's hand. And I did. I did actually want it to be amicable that was you know that was one of the things that we all had to make sure I think was was sorted because I don't like you know when someone leaves the club and they go oh it's great it's amicable it's great it's great and then six months down the line you go well here's what really happened and the big exclusive and that's not me mate you've known me for too long I'm I'm a straight down the barrel kind of guy give it you both barrels sometimes it's not nice sometimes it's great it's just one of those things for me I wanted to I knew the book was coming for a start that Watford knew it was coming they know I have the platform of talk sport and the sun and all of that other stuff but I was like as long as you like don't say anything that's completely off off piece or you know try and blame Troy for anything that's gone on in the past then I'm fine I'm a big boy I've I've done really great things at Watford and Watford have done really great things for me. So what why why get nasty? Why get into the 
in this particular instance, Troy did this. Okay, but in this particular instance, Watford did that. And we go into a tit for tat, and the only people that benefit from it, so to say, is, is like you guys, the, the journalists. Yeah. You know, so is, is, um, is every relationship perfect? I'm with a missus now, love my missus to death, and perfect. Still argue, we still disagree on things, but ultimately you, you're working for the greater good. And, and I feel like my time at Watford started off rocky, which has been well documented, but from from me coming home in what 2012 onwards it's been it's been pretty seamless mm-hmm. haven't it said the odd thing in an interview and got sent off in the odd game yeah but over a 10-year stretch i'll take that I'll, t- I'll honestly take that so i was probably sent off three times it's probably about the same time as angelo and he was there for three years <laughs> <laughs> or or um the kid that we got from qpr i can't think of his name now but samba Oh yeah, the yeah. midfielder. Yeah, yeah, who got sent off twice in in three games or something like that. So over the time period, it just it just become one of those games where I think it had run its course. People will always argue, oh, he could have went here, he should have went then, and I'll always I'll always know, and the people there will always know what I did for that place, and you know. The, the the proof will be in the pudding moving forward, won't it? Five years from now, ten years from now, whether I left a, a lasting legacy or not, that will be, you know, to be decided. Hopefully, I'm still around. I'm talking like I'm about to die, but you know, you know <laughs> do you know when people like? I think it. I think it's more for people to talk about when you're not there. Have you sorted out what you're gonna? Is there going to be a testimonial? Have you sorted that out yet? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. When, how, why? I don't know, but I, I know that is something that they wanted to give me. There was talk about it being last year, COVID time. Me and Maps were going to have like a kind of a joint one, really. Yeah. I think Maps was having like a dinner and a few few little things that would have done it. And I think I was going to get the game towards the end of the year, but obviously COVID hit. And then naturally, you put that on the back burner because, and this is something that kind of frustrated me with, with fans as well. It's like, you know, second we got relegated against Arsenal, it wasn't the Troy Deeney show at that point. It was the shit, like, your Lynette, your Sharon's, or fucking the, girl, the girls that work in the back. Oh, fucking, how many of them are going to get sacked? And that's why, like, you know, when they put me in front of the camera, it, it was frustrating because I had to firm it. I had to be the one who, to do it because nobody else wanted to. So even when you go out and you try and be honest and go, look, like, it ain't about us. It's about these other people and they're saying, well, you're going to retire or are you going to move on? It's like, this isn't the time or place to be talking about that. There's bigger, there's bigger implications from COVID itself plus relegation that financially hits the club and the player will always be fine. I'll always get my money. So will Etienne Capu, so will however many players you want to go through. The staff are the ones who lose out. The people, the heartbeats of the club, they're the ones who lose out. And that was the, the message I was generally trying to get across because for weeks leading up to that, there are conversations you have with people. The people that clean clean up, they're going, oh, I hope you guys win today. Mm. Well, we're going to try. But, you know, well, if you don't, then, you know, we're, we're out of a job. Yeah. And when yeah. you've had that relationship with people for nearly 12 years, that's when you go, oh, Jesus, like... There's a huge responsibility here. Not just if you win or lose, but there's, there's life implications off the back of it. 
Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. No, but no, no, not, not at all. No, no. Interesting. I, one line I liked in, um, in the book, I, I like a lot of lines, but one of the lines I like <laughs> is um, the chaos of Watford had become normal and I'd, I'd grown accustomed to it. Can you just sum up yeah. what it is like? And I know you've got a little bit of a sort of a, a contrast now with, you know, working at Birmingham, but how would you describe how it works at Watford and why you call it that the chaos of Watford? But because the chaos is in no way, shape or form or no manual do you sack four managers in one year and get promoted. Mm. There's not a manual that can get you to figure that out. The chaos of it is, I've got to be careful on what I say because I don't want to make any issues, but certain things would happen, let's say, and they would never get out into the press. And it would be like, what are we doing? Like, how, how has this happened? Here's a perfect example. Here's one example I can give. I won't get into trouble for this. But you look at the, the Will Hughes situation. How did that man- manifest itself into that? They're the kind of things where it's like, well, how did we get to this situation? Yeah. Why wasn't that figured out in the off-season? Do you know what I mean? Even if Will was going to go, or I could use myself as a situation when when they thought we, they were going to get rid of loads of us after the, um, the relegation. Why wasn't it sorted out before we came back? Because we all come back under the, the, the pretenses that we're going to play and we're here to play. And then the one is like, oh, by the way, that's all changed. That's the chaos in which I mean, like, there's no organisation like in football. And this said just Watford. This is football, by the way, that people wait until the last minute and go, yeah, go on, we're going to change our mind. Oh, by the way, we didn't get rid of you like we wanted to, but please give 100% for us and go and win us a game. And it's like, so it wasn't good enough a month ago, but now you want to offer me a contract, let's just say. Mm. That's just the the chaos of football. And Watford did things differently, didn't they? Let's be honest, we can't... I'm not going to sit here and say it was all great because the things were great. Let's say we, we got rid of four managers and got promoted in that year. But there were times in October, November, when it was really, really tested. Yeah. Really testing when we go to play um, Fulham away and and you're hearing rumours that if we lose this, Slav's gone. Mm. So that would have been another manager. So you're like, oh, gee, what's, what's going on here? But that's, and- that's an interesting one because a lot of the, the perception is when it gets to that point, when it starts to get a bit edgy, the players go, oh, he's going to be gone in a minute. We don't need to worry too much. Or does it just naturally breed that that environment where you go, well, you know, shit happens. This is how it works. Well, what was I? I was, was I 11 years, was it 15, 16 managers, coaches, yeah. managers, however yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to like yeah. word it. At some point, you go, it's just kind of the way we do things. Yeah. You don't mean it negatively against Gino and, and, and Scott because they do great things. Mm. Look at the players we've unearthed. And I know for everyone, it can go, oh, well, this guy was rubbish, or this guy was rubbish. Found Richarlison, found Saar, found Kuchar. So many you can read off and go, they, they've done well. But I think in the in the way that they are, in, in the, the business model, a manager and a player are, are definitely, um, you know, replaceable. You would probably say that's a good thing. Well, I would say that's a good thing. Because if I wasn't replaceable, let's say, and I, I left a month ago, there's a huge hole to fill and that could cost you 30, 40, 50 million. Because if you wanted a, a leader plus a goal scorer, you might have to buy two players. 
Yeah. They don't necessarily come combined as ones. I don't think players ever switch off and go, oh, I hope he goes. There'll be a couple that do, by the way, because people that aren't playing will go, I hope he goes because the next one might pick me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just human nature. That isn't like they're out to sabotage. I think on the whole, everyone's like better the devil you know. And especially, you know, talking about Watford, the, the managers wasn't like, so like when Bournemouth got rid of Eddie Howe, they've tried to replace him with a similar type. For us, we've gone from Gianfranco Zola to Beppe Cellino. To get would be like one one Italian that's like really easy going to one that's like do it this way, or if you don't do it that way, you're not playing. Yeah. So um, yeah, we've and we've been all over the world, haven't we? We've had a few different people come in, and I, I, I honestly can say, looking back, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the uh, the experiences and and the hard work of trying to understand not just different languages, but different eyes and ears on football. And I think it's made me a better player over the course of time. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. I found a lot of the, the tales about the different managers very interesting, especially Beppe Sonino and just sort of just being sort of full throttle all the time. And then mm. uh, for with Mazzari, that I didn't realize the the sort of the, the line dancing that he used to do in the hotel, like I guess the big yeah. the big rooms that you would have together. And the perception is it's interesting, isn't it? Especially when you have a, a head coach that isn't talking in his first language, who isn't talking in English. The perception was, oh, he's just he just loves smoking fags and he's just a bit crazy. But he was meticulous in his preparations, wasn't he? Even though he didn't necessarily get on with you, didn't necessarily have the best relationship. No, that's that's what I mean. It's it's funny because when people think that you don't like somebody or say, oh, me and that person didn't get along, doesn't mean that I didn't respect him. Doesn't mean that he wasn't good at his job or vice versa. It just meant that in certain situations. We we never seen eye to eye. We wouldn't go. I wouldn't go out for a coffee with him, and vice versa. He he wouldn't be in my top one hundred people to have a coffee with, but to talk football with, he'd be in my top five. Very good, very very good as a coach. I think his style was suited actually for a more Atletico Madrid style team, a well drilled top team that could hit you on the counter. I don't think I don't think we have the personnel to 
implement what he actually wanted to do, looking back. And honestly, if I'm, I'm taking full account, I, I didn't hold myself accountable as much as I should have done with, under his time. When I look back, yes, I scored goals, but I was, I was overweight. And because I hadn't bought into him and, and vice versa, we just clashed on things so daily. It become like a, a battle. It's like that all the time. Bang, bang, bang. Instead of just like, when I'm older now, I maybe would have gone, I don't agree with that, but just do it anyway. Yeah. And you pick your battles older. But when you're, what I've been then, 27, 28, I've, I've been successful the way I was doing it. I was scoring goals. I was, I was the man. I, I couldn't be told. No, I couldn't be told. I couldn't be dictated to. Sorry, I couldn't be told. I couldn't be dictated to. So when somebody has said that, that instance I'm talking about in the Arsenal, when we played Arsenal, yeah. and he's in there and he's going, he's grabbing Daryl Yamma and saying, do this and turning his body shape and doing this. You're like, that's Daryl Yamma. Like, I'm looking at it going, that's Daryl Yamma. Like, been to World Cups, played, played for big clubs. You're treating him like a little boy. Mm. But it then works. Yeah. And when it works, you go, I'm, you know, I, I don't know nothing but then we do it in other games let's say against the Burnley and he's like all we've got to do is this this and this and you stop them but it's like no it's not that because Burnley keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and there was a little bit I probably feel look back there'd be some arrogance on his part you know that arrogance towards English football where it's like it's just easy and yeah. all they do is head it and kick it so you know it, it was definitely something that, that could have been better on both sides but I will, as an as a as a adult, take a lot of blame for that because, you know, he he knew his stuff football wise. I just think personality wise, we we didn't get on. I wanted to ask you about a couple of the opportunities that you did have to leave, and I know you know you came close to going to Leicester, and I understand the the reasoning that you had behind that. You know, they just won the title, and it was a bit like, well, yeah, it'd be good money, but I might not be, it might not be the right move at the right yeah. time. The one that interested me was, was I'll ask you about West Brom in a minute, but the Aston Villa one where it actually got to the point of them. Act, I mean, did like they were saying you have to get rid of your tattoo. Is that, is that like, how did uh, that... The, the question, the question was, would I be willing to remove it or cover it? To which I said, no. And actually, no, that's a lie. I said, no, the second time, the first time was depends how much money you're paying. That was the first, that was the first response. That was my agent telling that story because what I did within it again, I didn't want it just all to be Troy saying it and Troy's recollection because then it could just be, you know, let's say if I said, well, Adam Leventhal offered me a hundred grand to do an interview, let's say, you could say, I go, no, I didn't. Yeah. And it's just uh, you versus me. I don't, I don't like that. So uh, I had some input like that was, that was Simon that said that story actually because I was never going to mention it just because you know, me and the Villa fans don't exactly get on too well. It was that. So in the year I came home in 2012, Gianluca Nani offered me uh, a, a deal, basically said, we'll give you the same money for five years. And this is like three weeks after I came home. And I was like, uh, not, not for me kind of thing. Let me just get back into football, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that people don't understand and maybe think I'm being arrogant when I say this is, when it comes to business, I'm a smart individual, especially football business. So we'd already had the conversations while I was in jail with Simon about what if Watford got rid of me, where would the plan go? If Watford didn't get rid of me, how would the plan go? So we had A, B and C covered. So once I come out and within 10 days, I scored that goal at Huddersfield, 
we knew an offer was going to come in because that was from a business perspective the best time for Watford to try and get me because they could use the we've done you a favour, we've stayed with you, all of those kind of tactics. But we already spoke about that coming. So it was like, I'm just going to concentrate on football. And I had the perfect example. I was still on tag. They was in a position where they could try and like bully me, but force my hand into that. But what I had with the, with the tag was able to turn around and say to them, look, like, I could still get in trouble. So let me just stay in. Let me just concentrate on football. Let me score my goals. And then we'll figure it out after. And that gave me enough time to get credit in the bank by showing I was on time, showing I was a good professional, and ultimately scoring goals. Scoring goals changes opinions, as we know. So um, when Villa came in, that was like March. So I only had a... And again, that's what people don't understand with the Leicester goal, that goal that everyone talks about. I was out of contract, technically, coming into that, into the the run-up to that year. I was out of contract, so... Behind the scenes, you had a lot of toing and throwing. Watford going, well, do we really want to play him if he's going to leave on a free? And then the, the small numbers were like, you know, let's say it was, I was on five grand, they were offering me six or 6,200. And it was like, it was just getting nudged and nudged and nudged. And finally, once, you know, uh, Scott got involved and Gino got involved, it was, and that's like every deal there, got sorted in half an hour. Yeah, meant it down. This is what I want. This is what they want. Well, let's meet in that grey area in the middle then. Yeah, they're yeah. not. You know, a deal's good when they're not happy and I'm not happy. That's when you know it's a good deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and you know, I, I hopefully did that. But yeah, Villa, Villa was a team interested. Celtic were interested. Over the years, we've had Leicester, Tottenham, Arsenal, all sorts of teams have, have come in, and you know, from a from a PR perspective, there was going to have to be a lot of work to be to keep everybody happy but you know we, we got there we got there and I'm very grateful for for everything that, that happened at Watford the, the West Brom one I mentioned because it followed on from the interview that you'd done on the on the pitch at Arsenal which you spoke about and you said look you know yeah. it, might, it may well be my last game and then the 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 sort of the nudge on from that was, oh, well, Watford might want to get rid of me. And you sort of felt that that was a little bit ruthless. But I wanted to sort of look at it from both angles. Did you think, well, no, I'm a Premier League player. I'm going to get myself back up into the Premier League. And that's where I belong. Honestly, I felt like I'd let everybody down. I got I got injured at the start of that year. So, you, yeah. know, you know how, like, cocksure I am of myself. I tell myself that, if I didn't miss those 10 to 14 games at the start of the season, yeah. you're telling me we couldn't have won one game that would have kept us up in that in that time period. Yeah. So that's how I looked at it. On that, but, should you have had a knee operation the summer before 1920, that season, earlier? No, no, no. no. That happened in pre-season. And do you know okay. who'd done that to me? Of all the players we've got, do you know who, whose tackle hurt me? Domingos oh, no. Quina, oh, the smallest God. player you could possibly think of. Oh, no. Yeah, so we, we, I was turning away from him and my knee was planted and his knee went into the side of my knee right. and snapped the bone back off it. So, like, one of those things could happen 50 more times and the bone would never snap. Right. It would just be a bit of bone bruising and we carry on. And that's what we put it down to at the start. Yeah. A bit of bone bruising, carry on. And we played QPR because we always used to lose to them, didn't we? They were going into the season. We had one more friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We always used to lose that game, and everyone'd be like, "Oh, we're rubbish. We're going to get relegated." And it was like, "Relax." 
we're yeah. still getting you know our asses handed to us in pre-season and they're tapering down yeah the start of a new season you you felt that it was it had got to the no point so of- again these are things that that go on in the background that you know people don't know but Sai had already been approached by Filippo at the time, basically saying, look, if we lose, he's going to have to go. Right. And the frustration for me was, probably similarly to last year, really, that, well, if I'm going to go, that's fine. But before, like before the last game, you want to tell me that, like, you're piling on more pressure. Like, if Mm. you don't win this, you're gone. Yeah. And then, um, and then similarly to like, last year when it, it could have been a conversation where like look Troy we want to keep you but your your wages are high all right let's restructure let's have that conversation because I'm but as I said I'm I'm doing all right financially I'm all right so I don't need to like turn around and chase every penny I'm I'm a blues fan when like Ziggich was on 70 grand a week and the lads were the championship I've saw that I don't I never want to be that person mm-hmm but I'm also not going to just give you my money back with nothing on the on the back end, whether that be years or a coaching role. Or there's so many things we could have done to um, to extend and, and bring it down, and it could have been it could have been a lot a lot easier for everybody. But um, I just think it was one of those business decisions at the time where they were like, "We're going to get rid of you," and I was go- I was going on loan to start with. So I nearly went to West Brom two years before that. You know, when storage went, I was more or less gone then. That was in January. This is the, the wild thing. I was still starting for Watford at that time. Before you know it, like, I'm I'm having calls and meetings with West Brom at the Grove. Watford have said we could get yeah. It's the year they ultimately got relegated uh, when I scored past Fozzy the chip. Oh, that yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, that was a couple of weeks after. We ended up playing them. I think Pardew was the manager, I believe. I think yeah. it was Pardew that was the manager. But, you know, I've, I've nearly left on so many occasions. So even when this one happened, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm, you know, you're never, yeah. never going to see it through. Uh, and when we went to West Brom, I went up there, met with the manager. I got my number. It, it was done. It was more or less done. And they were playing Chelsea on the weekend. And I'd met them on a Thursday, Thursday or Friday. It was, toward, it was literally before the game anyway. So it was, it was literally a handshake and let's get the game done. And then we'll do it on the Monday. No problem. Monday comes, no call. Tuesday, no call. Right, Watford, what am I doing here? Because I'm fit and ready to go. And and like um, under Ivic, I wasn't play- like At that moment, I was still away from the squad. And it was like, well, what are we doing? Because if I'm going, let's get it done. If I'm staying, let's get started because I'm just losing days and days and the team were getting fitter and I was playing catch-up the whole time. And the one thing I've never had, and it, was, it is a bit of a frustration, is if I've ever been injured, I've never had the, we'll let him play a 45 minutes, and then we'll let him play a 60, and then we'll, you know, in the 23s game, and then we'll put him in. Whenever I've been injured, there's, there's been some form of crisis. So it's like the second he starts running, three days later, if I start running on a Monday, I'm involved on the Saturday mm. in some capacity. And it's like, you know, you don't expect a fan to feel sorry for you because they'll go, well, if you're fit enough to be involved, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. But I never had that, you know, that period of like getting building back up into it. And 
And I think ultimately a lot of games were missed over that, over not being managed back in properly at times because I think it was a year we got relegated, wasn't it? I, I was injured and then I think I'd ran two days and I was on the bench against Norwich. Yeah, so I ran for two days and it was like, right, you're on the bench, you're travelling. I'm like, okay, I haven't actually kicked a ball yet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I literally hadn't kicked a ball full force. And I remember that the incident that you mentioned in, your, in the book about the situation after Burnley, when you had a, a row with the fitness guy that worked with Kike. No, that um, was um, Southampton. Southampton. Was, was it at Southampton? Was that Southampton? Do you uh, remember okay. when we were winning, they got an equaliser. He brought on a right back, Fourquier. He brought okay, him on, yeah. yeah, and then they scored the free kick. It was 2-1 and it was like, it was the second he came on the pitch and it was one of them when like, you just know the camera's going, where's Troy? Because I remember, I think, you came on yeah. against Burnley. You needed like you 45 minutes and it was like, he's, he's trying his nuts off here, yeah. but it's tough and it's Burnley and they're just... yeah. Throwing punches. We was, we lo- because what it was, it was Southampton the game before. No, the Southampton was the game after because he got sacked after the Southampton game. The Burnley game where you come on and apparently had a, like a bit of an argument with the with the fitness guy, you'd wanted yeah. to do some more running and he'd said, no, yeah. you're not, you haven't played. And I remember seeing something going on on the pitch. And I was like, what, the, what is going on there? But then obviously... You know what? My, my recollection of that, and we're going we're gonna to agree to disagree. You know what? We're not going to agree. You're a Watford tactician. So I'm going to go that you're right. But my recollection of it was Southampton away mm. was that. And I asked to do running and he said no. It was definitely Southampton where the argument was anyway. Yeah. Definitely Southampton. But then I thought we went into the Burnley game and lost 3-0. But it might have been the, the Burnley game. We lost 3-0 and then Southampton. Yeah. And I tried to run because Saar scored. That was, remember, yeah. Saar had been out for a hamstring. And then he yeah. came and Caps played down the line and scored. Yeah. And then because we didn't run, you're right. We're both right, but you're right. So it was Burnley first. We lost 3-0 and I got bought on with like 30 minutes to go. We were 3-0 down. So I was just like running just to run. I I then ran after that game and then all the week building up to it, I was training but doing extras. And I was like, feel like I got 35 in me solid. And then he didn't bring me on because he said I wasn't fit. But then it made no sense as to why you brought me on the week before. And I went to Lee, the fitness guy at the time, come on, man, let's go do some box-to-boxes. Because the, the dressing room was flat. You know what it's like. You've been around. Once they'd lost and there was that air of his sacked, no one was talking. But I hadn't played and I go into selfish mode at that point. Right, I need to get fit for the next game. So I went to league. Can we do some runs? He's like, nah, no one's running. I went, no. Can me and you do some runs? Oh, sure, mate. No problem. And also, there was three people getting drug tested. So there was no rush to get on the bus yeah. and get out of there. I've gone to walk out and the guy literally stepped in front of me. Like, where are you going? To, to do some runs? Like, what's the matter? No, no, no. You can't do that. You haven't asked me. And then that was one of them when it was like, fuck off, mate. A, we've just yeah. lost. B, you've not put me on at all in a loss. And now you're telling me I can't even get fit. And that they were the little things that used to go on because football is driven, as you know, by egos. So it was the ego of, you've asked, somebody that works under me to do some running, why haven't you asked me? Instead of looking at it and going, well, he's trying to get fit for the next game. It's just things like that. And then, do you know what would happen as well? And in this instance, it definitely wasn't you. But I remember reading somebody saying, oh, you know, Kike's gone because he didn't play Dini. And it's like, how, how am I being dragged into this 
I didn't yeah. even play. It was it wasn't you. I know it wasn't you because you know I know who said it. Yeah. But um, somebody did an article like that. I think it was Watford Observer did an article like that. Like he's getting sacked because he didn't play Dini, and it's like, a I didn't play. B I had nothing. I didn't. You know Watford. You probably know more about Watford than me and what goes on in the background. And then the biggest thing for me, like the perfect example of that is, you remember Man City away when it was 7, 8 nil, 8 nil, And they were like 4 nil down in 15 minutes or something daft like that. I was on crutches. I remember this. Uh, and it will always stay, but I was on crutches. I'd gone in for the day, did all my session. I got home to watch the game. Sat down. I was got back in at three minutes past three. We were two nil down. I was getting messages on Instagram. My fans going, "You're a disgrace. Why aren't you playing?" And my knees like an elephant. And I walk in and I'm going, "How the fuck is this me?" <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It just I just became that kind of. And I can't complain because when it's good, even if I was shit, it was I was still good. Yeah. So it works in both ways. But there are yeah. times, you know, like. You're sitting there questioning, oh, can I come back from this knee injury? And is this ever going to get better? And oh, it's not going down. And fucking hell, they're losing. Shit, I can't help. But then I'm going, ping, ping, ping. <laughs> your shit, it's your fault. I was like, oh, okay, must, yeah. must be some truth to it. <laughs> Troy, I really appreciate your time. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And I hope, you know, I hope it all continues to go well at Birmingham. Um, uh, I, I believe, I'll give yeah. you an excuse. I believe I'm coming down for the Chelsea game. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I believe I'm coming down to say goodbye to everybody properly on the Wednesday. Nice. And also, if anybody does buy the book and they would like it signed, I think I'm going to go in the club shop before for an hour. So, yeah. There carnage. You go. It's going to be carnage in there. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, amicable, want to say goodbye. And in true Troy fashion, I would like to do it on my own terms. So, that's what I've proposed, and I'm hopeful. Now I've said it on here, it will get it will get uh, it will get signed off. But I believe that's the game we're going to come back. So uh, I think it I think it's the first, maybe the first of December, first okay. of November, something like that. Good luck with it. Good luck with the book. Good luck with your life. That's more important. Um, mm. And yeah, hopefully we'll we'll see you again. See you again soon. And we haven't even met, we didn't even mention that goal and we didn't even mention the FA Cup semi final, all that By stuff. We've already talked about how it. Not, how nice was it? How nice <laughs> was it to not mention that goal? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, thank you very much. I appreciate the conversation and to the podcast. I still follow you guys. I still see what you're doing. So thank you. Keep up the good work. And also, I saw that Peter got injured. I have messaged him already, but I'll say it on here. I hope Peter gets well because I think he tore his quad for four yeah. or five months, isn't it? So it's a shame. I think he's a, he's a real good player. But the squad is uh, is big enough now to, to deal with, with him not being there. So hopefully Imran can kick on. And, you know, I'm still a fan, mate. I'm still yeah. a fan. Nice one. So, yeah. All right, Troy. All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye bye. All the best, mate. See you later. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So there we have it, Troy Deeney, Watford's former number nine with Adam Leventhal, our very own. If you want to read the interview in full, you can on The Athletic. And if you're not a subscriber already, you can get a 33% discount just by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. We'll be back next week. I know it's the international break, but there's plenty to talk about now that Claudio Ranieri's had a few days to get his feet under the table. We'll have a look ahead to what lies ahead after the international break with that. 
horrendous, terrifying run of fixtures, but we'll try and find a bit of optimism. We'll try, even with Mike. We'll see you next week. The Athletic.